Welcome to the Reputation Capital Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And today we're going to, well, we're going to go back to my hometown of Melbourne, Australia. We're going to go out to the western suburbs and we're going to talk to Dean Menzel. But Dr. Kent, we're going to go a little bit on a history ride. We're going to go back in time, talk about glam rock. Oh, yeah. Glam rock and wigs and stuff. Yep. And stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Dean Menzel is a, is a, well, musician and singer and songwriter. And yeah, we'll let you hear from her about her glam rock background. Yeah. And I, I mean, the concept of, um, you know, a brand anthem, super cool. I think her business model is very interesting and novel. And we really appreciate that she stayed up till midnight to talk to us. So rock and roll hours. Um, So that was that was a fun part of the conversation. So let's go and listen to our discussion with Dean Menzel. Nice to talk with you, Dean. We have to start out here by telling the Dean story. So so tell us about the, the tale of two Deans down there in Australia. The tale of two Deans. Well, so I met my husband, Dean, uh, about 16 years ago, and it all started with, hi, I'm Dean, and he said, are you kidding me? And I said, no. He said, I'm Dean as well, and our first date was at a place called The Deanery. Would you believe it? Uh, (laughs) So that pretty much sums up the tale of two Deans. We've been married for 16 years and happily ever after, ever since. (laughs) The 16 is a nice, a nice number for that, too, because it, it sort of feels like, uh, you know, four and four, four squared, um, you know, it's a, it's a good round number. So outside of names and numbers, we see a baby grand behind you, a beautiful piano. Tell us about, I guess, the musical story behind this Dean, behind you. Well, it, it doesn't start off as uh, as cool as a baby grand. My mum actually was the catalyst for it all and uh, she wanted my sister and I to to basically have a hobby, keep us out of trouble, I suppose. So she started us all up on organ lessons. I don't know if you guys know much about the organ, but we started up on the Kimball organ. Uh, I was wow. five. Wow! At the time. Yeah, my my grand my mother's father was a Hammond organ player in um, the big bands, oh. and then also played organ in church. And so I grew up around organs, and there was a family pump organ, which is the which is the bomb, also because you you get your exercise you right. <laughs> yes, you do. You do. I've, I've had the pleasure of playing one of those once or twice, but uh, yeah, I couldn't touch the pedals at that time. I was five, so I'd be standing up at at the organ. And um, I started my journey of falling in love with music at that time and I kept going on with it. I joined a, uh, a church youth group when I was about 11. I think I was sitting in church one day, you know, I actually never used to pay attention much, but somebody said one day that they were starting up a youth choir and all of a sudden I started to become interested in church again. So I actually joined what was the youth choir at the time, which was basically me and two clarinet players. And we ended up sticking with it for about, oh, look, it would have been about 10, 12 years. It wasn't much of a youth anymore. I think it was in my 20s at the time. And we created, like we had drums and 
you know, lead guitars and we, you know, it was pretty cool like, by the time we finished with it. So that's where I sort of started arranging music and voices and harmony and I really, really loved that kind of thing. I was also uh, doing a few weddings on the side at the time because I was the organist at the church. So uh, that all came in handy and um, was earning about 150 to $200 a week as a 13-year-old, which wasn't bad wicket. So, yeah, so that was my sort of first foray into music and earning money as a musician. And then, you know, sort of everything started to fall apart after that. My my mum wanted me to become an accountant or at least go to university and do something with my life. So I basically gave music away for a little while. And, um, and so I went into the working world. I couldn't really stick with it for too long because music's just in my blood. So, you know, one day my cousin said to me, why don't you, you know, maybe start teaching? I mean, you know, music, you know, you've been singing for a while. So I started teaching and on the side, it was a bit of a side hustle. And I called my business at the time, Goss Music. I didn't really have it you know, reason to call it that, just called it goth music for the sake of picking a name. And all of a sudden, that was my journey into creating a performing arts company that I stuck with for about 10 years. Yeah, so it's been a lot of music since the age of five, right through to now, and done a few things in between, which I have a few stories about as well. But uh, I'll let you guys chat for a bit. (laughs) It's really really interesting um, kind of to talk to uh, musicians about how they stumbled into the commercial aspect of the love affair that is music, right? So I know I, I am a musician, so the thousands of musicians I know have different variations of this journey. And it's always fascinating to look at. The way you presented it is really interesting to me because you introduced your love for music and then brought it into the commercial immediately. One of the challenges in music is that the education systems don't lead musicians towards commercialization enough, right? There are certain programs that do, but for example, I have a PhD in classical music. We never had one commercial class. There was no, here's how to make money with this. So we had to figure it out. You'd teach lessons, you'd do a gig, you'd play a wedding, you do all those things and you figure it out. And then I realized I was a business guy at some point, right? So at what point did you realize I actually gotta I gotta make a living at this. I'm kind of a business person now. Look, I have to say that didn't really happen to me until later on in my life. Even after I had the performing arts company, um, I was really just hustling <laughs> at the time, you know. So it wasn't really that I could make a, a business out of it. I was really just going week to week. A lot of things happened in my life, sort of like around the tail end of that time, I'd met my now husband, I had a child and I thought to myself, well, it was a bit of a crossroads as well because I think every musician goes through a certain crossroads and they sort of say, well, am I going to still be a musician? You know, like am I really going to go in that direction or am I going to go and just give it up? I mean, some people just sort of say, I'm going to give it up and I'm just going to do something completely different. Um, most, and Most musicians do, in fact. Right, that's the the way I've seen it. Is it's like most of the most gifted people I've ever met in my life give it up. It's I, I think it's 
an interesting thing, you know, because like if you really ask them what it came down to, it probably would have come down to the money, like as in like because you can have passion for something, uh, a deep passion for something, but if it's not paying the bills and it's not putting food on the table, especially if you've got a family and, you know, you've got people who are depending on you, you know, you sort of have to weigh the options and just sort of say, well, how long can I sort of sustain this? And it's a sad thing because, like, if you know, if you put a guitar in the hand or if you sat them down at the piano, you know, like the joy that would, you know, that you'd see on their face just being in a bubble, being in the zone, you know, if anybody could just live their lives without having to pay bills and having to, you know, like do the things that we have to do to survive, it would be a different career path for many people, I would say. They'd really stick to what they would were inspired to do. So for me, just in answering your question again about, you know, when it, when was it, it really was probably in the last few years when I've created Brantham because I've always been fascinated by people who have done things in a different way. I'm always looking for something, you know, that's a bit of a point of difference. And what I wanted to do with Brantham was find something that nobody's, or at least not many people have done before. So, you know, it bringing together the skills that I like within music. So, I mean, I'm not a virtuoso uh, pianist or anything like that. I'm a songwriter. I appreciate, you know, great melodies and great strong songs and lyrics. And I brought that into the mix and saw that there were businesses out there that were basically marketing themselves, you know, with all this content that was just just content. It was just like people would read the content or see the content on Facebook and just scroll and scroll and scroll. And so this business is wasting a lot of money on this content and time. And I thought, well, what is it about music that gets people just to stop and listen? What is it in people that can remember a jingle from, you know, 10 years, decades earlier, and they can recite it lyric for lyric, and yet they can't remember what a blog said last week. So, you know, there was something in that for me. And that's where it sort of, you know, the penny just dropped and said, you know what, I can actually do this and I can I can change the game in what's happening here with with businesses and how music can actually amplify the message in an effective way. So I, I'm fascinated. I, I'm far from a musician, but I am a business geek. And listening to your story, it's kind of interesting because you went from notes to numbers to notes and now you're back in numbers again because you're actually running a business. So you've got this cycle of notes to numbers, each of which seems to be igniting your passion. Um, I see a lot of musicians out there who still have the passion, but as soon as they make their passion into a business, they lose the passion and they're no good at the business. So you seem to be straddling that really well. What is it about your education that enabled you to do that? I have to say, you know, hats off to my mum who, you know, wanted me to go to university and do something. And the accounting degree, you know, funnily enough, the accounting degree is still sitting in a tube in my <laughs> walk-in wardrobe. And uh, however, I actually ended up working in the accounting firm for many years. And, uh, but I actually, I don't know whether it's the musician, the rebel in me, I, I didn't want to become an accountant. So I actually ended up on front desk 
working in an accounting firm for years and I actually ended up learning you know a lot of business skills I was setting up businesses I was setting up companies I was setting up trusts I was doing tax well I was understanding how tax works and setting up ABNs uh, business numbers for businesses so all these skills that I learned um, in the 10 years that I was working at an accounting firm I've actually used those skills to run a profitable business I know about profit and loss I know about you know expenses I know about cash flow so it's a bit of a, an odd mix, a musician and a, an accounting background, but it's actually been a, the perfect balance to be able to live my passion, which is music, but understand how to make that into a lucrative business. So where was the jump from music to branding? Because that's a, an awesome thing. Kent can talk to us a great deal. I cannot, but I am interested to, when did it click that that music is such a significant part of branding and is so overlooked? Well, a few years ago, and this was just when we had, I had a business partner at the time and um, we were actually, you know, we had met in a cover band. So we were doing some uh, some projects together and I just sort of what said covers? to him at the time. So, sorry, projects. What covers? I'm just what curious. Covers? Oh, we were in a, oh my gosh, we were in a 70s glam band called Fantastics. Oh my gosh. So I was in wigs and all sorts of things. Oh, that's a whole different podcast, yeah? So anyway, you know, we were jamming one day and I said to him, look, do you, do you want to, you know, look into doing something that's a little bit more than just covers? And he said, well, what do you want to, what do you want to do? And I said, well, look, thinking maybe you bring some music into team building. At the time, we were, uh, and we'd called ourselves Voice Your Brand. And so we were working with council groups and things like that. So just to bring people together and create something together musically. And so shortly after that, I had joined a business networking group to try and promote this team building concept. But what I found was that within the networking group, these were businesses that were sole traders and maybe partnerships. So they didn't have big teams and a lot of the clients that they serviced didn't have big teams. So I'm thinking, okay, holy shit, what am I going to do here? I've just paid a whole subscription to join this networking group and, you know, and they can't do team building, not, not like this. So as they were speaking, they'd speak every week and they were talking about how they were marketing and what they were looking for. And I was looking at the marketing that they were doing and I thought to myself, okay, well, you've got a a logo that you put on everything, uh, you know, it's, whether from your apparel to business cards to whatever, that's how people recognise you. And I thought to myself, well, how can we, you know, being a musician, I sort of was thinking I was the square saying, what would it be like if you were using music? I mean, you're using generic stock tracks under your videos and so forth. What would it be if you had your own, your own music? you know, to brand you rather than having this other music that you were using so that people could recognise you across all your platforms and it wasn't just the visual. And so as we were starting to talk about it with these businesses, they were starting to get interested in it. So we did a few and then as we were showcasing what we were doing, because we were actually flipping the lid on the traditional jingle at the time as well. Jingles are traditionally a brand name and tagline or your know, brand name and a phone number. And the catchiness of the jingle was sort of saying to me, okay, well, we could take the catchiness, 
But there's something missing here with the jingle. It's not connecting with the target audience. So we flipped the message and we actually started writing for the target audience and that's where Brantham came to be. So we found the gap just by listening to these businesses saying, you know, they were struggling with a point of difference, struggling to be to be heard above, you know, the content noise, that social media now, and they were looking to be to do something a bit different in their business and that's where we sort of came in. I love the idea of noise, what you brought up at the end there. I've always been obsessed personally uh, and musically, I guess, by rooms. And as people fill the room, there's this just wall of sound that just rises and rises and it swirls and swirls so that people have to punctuate that by cutting through and they end up shouting and that's we're in this fire hose you know square wave you know ocean waves kind of vibe just everything is is just loud and and so people have to shout to get through it i love the idea of the jingle in that mess because it's like no 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 just just put all that away go back to the time of you know i don't know uh, <laughs> we're your everyday hardware store down the street, you know, <laughs> um, when you're listening to the radio, right? And we all remember yeah. this stuff or like the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, you know? So when did you first fall in love with jingles? Where did you fear, first hear them? What's the secret sauce that that you provide now with Brantham, like working out people's jingles? Um because it sounds friendly and fun, but it's actually quite serious. So I'm curious that that whole evolution of jingle within your soul, I guess. <laughs> oh, look, I, so I grew up with jingles in Australia, you know, uh, and Randy would probably know a few Aeroplane Jelly and uh, the, the Vegemite jingle, which is, I don't know if you've tasted Vegemite, Kent, but... Uh, I've <laughs> had Vegemite. it once. Will you, will you <laughs> imitate either of those jingles? Just give a, a note or two, or maybe Randy can do it. <laughs> Well, we've got the I love aeroplane jelly, uh, and we've got uh, we're happy little Vegemites as bright as bright can be. We all enjoy our Vegemite for breakfast, lunch, and tea. And you know, there's so many. Love it. My, a little my bit favorite, of applause. I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just a bit of an impromptu there, but um, but my favorite. Uh, well, the catchiness of those jingles. I mean, like people remember the lyrics of of those jingles you know, decades later. But my favourite has to be, and it wasn't a traditional jingle at the time. It was actually a song that was used almost as the song of a brand. And Randy would probably know of it, which was a still called Australia Home, which was used as the Qantas ad. So the Qantas, Qantas is the yes. airline here. And, uh, and what got me with I Still Call Australia Home, it wasn't your traditional jingle. Like it was, it was a song. And it actually made people feel something. So uh, when they say I still call Australia home, it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't about the, the air hostess and the, the pilot. It was about the people, you know, the people who sort of like, you know, fly back home, you know, they're going on a trip and, you know, like on holiday or whatever, they catch the airline and I still call Australia home, you know, wherever they, they're travelling over the world. And that, I have to say, is what we bring to brand them. So you were saying before, yes, it is a serious business. We, we try and make it fun, but at the, at the same time, it's a strategic process because we're actually 
understanding the target audience, what the target audience messaging should be, what the pain points, the desires of the target audience. Sometimes I even try the product or the service to really get an understanding before writing the Brantham. And the Brantham is basically acting as a bridge of connection between the brand and its customers. Because if the customers know that they're understood, then, I mean, like they will buy from you because, you know, you're hearing them, you're listening to them, you understand them. So we act as a bridge of understanding lyrically and musically by tapping into the genre of music that the the target audience listens to. Um, You know, we really feel into that. We tap into the messaging, the wording. And yeah, so that's what what the difference between a brand and a jingle would be. Obviously, we've still got that catchy hook in there. We want people to remember the Branthams that they listen to. And one other thing that we do that a jingle doesn't do is we actually create a whole sonic style guide. So just as you would have like with a logo, you have or where you approach a graphic designer and they'll create a style guide which is your branding colours, you know, perhaps a shortened version of your logo, a longer version of your logo, a version for print. So you've got all these different variations that suit the media that it's going on. We do the same. So we've got things that are short enough for podcastings. It's the same elements that are put in, say, a 2.5-minute, you know, song that could be used at a live event Um, an instrumental of that which will go under your videos and maybe like another version of it, like a 30-second chorus of it, which will go in a radio ad because that's what you need. So it'll have those variations in a whole style guide for a client. So we know today in, in marketing circles, we hear a lot about the need to create relationships, the need to get your your future customers to know, like and trust you the fact that people make buy decisions based on emotion, all sorts of stuff, which is all true. The Qantas song was really interesting because that dug into very deep emotions, you know, the rite of passage for most Australians to get up and go walk about for a couple of years, to travel all over the place, the multicultural aspects of Australia that doesn't matter where you came from, you can call Australia home. It dug very deep into the psyche that, Qantas wanted to represent. And I think that's what made it very memorable and very impactful within Australia, but I doubt that it had that impact outside of Australia. So when you do your work, do you target geographically as well as globally and be aware of the global impact in global markets? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's one of the, the things that we go through with our clients is we really want to start with the outcome, like especially if they have a big vision, they want to be a global brand, we're starting at where they want to end up because, for example, if they are global and they want to be targeting, you know, different countries, we also offer different versions of that in different languages if possible or we really get to understand the target audience, whether the same messaging would be appropriate for those territories as well you know it really is important to reach the right message for the right territory so yeah it is very very important to strategically plan for those as well as you were saying with us still call Australia home it was very Aussie you know like I think that campaign was perfect for the Aussie market whether or not Qantas did an ad for 
for clients in, you know, America or wherever else. I'm not sure whether or not they tweaked the campaign for that. For the Aussie market, it was perfect. So, Dean, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I'd love to kind of close us up uh, with sort of a look forward. Uh, music, music as it has become ubiquitous in kind of a bad way and kind of a good way at the same time, right? So in a world where stock music is everywhere, in a world where airplane kind of room music is everywhere, where headphones are on 24-7, uh, our ears are getting stuffed up as much as our eyeballs, right? Like where it's fire hose style. Um, it next, and where will you be in, I guess, 40 or 50 years? 40 or 50 years? Oh, wow. Will I still be around? Maybe. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I think music is one of those things that has been around since the dawn of time. You know, so, I mean, like you've got the most ancient instruments that have been around for, for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, and music will be part of us. I think, you know, it's it's part of humanity. In terms of the amount of music that's out there, I think it's pretty much just because we have choice, you know, and I think it's great that... You know, we have so many platforms where people can choose now what they want to listen to. And there's so so many different fusions of music where styles that you wouldn't have heard of before meshing together, people are experimenting a lot. I mean, there's also AI out there, a lot of, you know, AI-generated music as well. So, I mean, like we're innovating, we're, we're experimenting, you know. At the same time, we want things that, will connect with us because we want to enjoy what we're listening to. So, look, I think there's going to be a lot of music out there, but I think it's great because a lot of people have the choice now of what they want to listen to and it'll just make our listening experience even better. So where can folks find you and the work you do? And I know maybe mention your Waltzing Matilda version because it's it's the world's favorite song that they don't quite realize until they hear it again and think, oh, yeah, that song. Sort of like Danny Boy. It's one of those songs that the world loves, um, and your version is, is interesting. But talk about that. Talk about where folks can find you and who you're looking for. Well, I'll just start with the Waltzing Matilda project, which was a project that I put together for International Peace Day in 2016. It was probably... You see a lot of virtual choirs around now since the pandemic. We did this four years ago, you know, when there weren't that many. I wanted to pick a song that was almost like a something that people could rally to. It's Bolton Matilda is something, a song that Australians rally to, but I rewrote it for a global feel. And I got 200 singers from 24 different countries to sing on smartphone, bring it together. You can have a look. It's on YouTube, just YouTube. Waltzing Matilda with Kate Sobrano, who uh, is an Australian artist here. She led that for us and it was just a beautiful project. For those who want to connect with me, you can on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, just uh, type in my name, Dean Mansell. Um, you can also check us out on the website, which is brantham.com.au. And we've got some snippets of our Branthams on there. If ever you wanted to learn a little bit more about Brantham and what we do, but look, you know, the thing with any kind of branding is that, you know, it's about 
the people that really want this kind of branding and the people who really want this kind of branding, which is music branding, are people who are forward thinking in uh, their brand, a bit innovative, thinking out of the box, game changers and and those who are wanting to just pretty much be, you know, leaders in the industry, just sort of like do something that's a little bit different. So they're the kind of people that we love working with. We think that there's a lot of, of fun that can be had in terms of, you know, looking into this and exploring music in brand. And for those who have long-term brand vision, music is, is key to that so that they become memorable, iconic, you know, and obviously they create long-term brand fans. So that's pretty much it for me. I love I love this conversation. It's been really fun to kind of connect with our yeah, connect our voice with um with Randy, help me here. <laughs> it's been is really Randy fun. still yeah, there he is. <laughs> it's it's been really fun. I, I couldn't get my microphone off mute. Um music and business, when put to when those two words put together in the opposite direction or in the direction of music business, we think of it as being a sleazy, dirty, difficult industry to break into. That's kind of like the book industry or Hollywood or whatever. There, there's, there's that sleazy undertone. You have managed to take that totally away. Um, so to all our listeners, if you're interested in branding through music, Dean's the person to go and talk to. Well, thank you, Randy. Um, look, you know, there, there are a lot of stereotypes with music and, uh, and the music business. I really wanted to make sure that what I do is not classified as a music business. Mm. This is branding. This is business. Um, and it really is about innovation and connection. And I just use music as the tool. So it really uh, is about, you know, for all those People out there, business-minded people, or even those who are, who have a business idea, I really um, encourage you to just to write things down and see where it goes. You know, uh, like I always look at things as stepping stones to to a big vision. If you've got a big vision, you know, find the stepping stones, find the right people that can help you achieve it. You know, there are a lot of ideas that are yet to be unhatched, and I can't wait to see you know, what a lot of different people uh, that I come across will come up with. I think it's an exciting time. Love that. I have to end with uh, my least favorite jingle. Uh, can you guess <laughs> what it is? Oh, dear. Oscar Mayer. Oh, no, that's a bad one. Yeah. Do you have a, a worst one, Dean? Your least favorite jingle? Oh, let me think. Um, my, mine is Decoray. We are- I had the Decoray ad. <laughs> Okay. Just like the Duke of Earl. Oh, <laughs> Duke, Duke. Nice. Mine is oh. We Are Farmers. Dun, 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 dun. I hate it. Oh, farmers it's, insurance, it's, yeah. It comes, comes out of my head like 10 times a day. It's 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 those, it's, anyway. Yeah. So back back in the 70s, maybe even the 80s in Australia, there was the Roller Door song. You'll get much more with the Roller Door. <laughs> <laughs> These are garage door rolling <laughs> garage door advertisements. It was crazy. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to YouTube that one. That, that oh. one was probably just before my time, but <laughs> yeah, crazy stuff. Oh, thank you so much for talking with us, Dean. This has been a blast. 
Thanks so much, guys, for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, yeah, I look forward to listening to more of your, of your episodes. Thank you, Dean. I it was kind of nostalgic talking about a little bit about Melbourne. Maybe that was before we started, but jingles and those silly Australian jingles, the Vegemite song and the the Aeroplane Jelly song. Thank you for singing those to us. That brought back some very deep childhood memories. You know, I feel kind of woefully inadequate here, uh, Randy. I got to be straight with you. We we do not have any jingles. Even though I'm a composer and a musician, I feel kind of naked, to be honest. Yeah, I think we might have missed an opportunity there. And, you know, I'll take you behind the shed and beat you off a bit over that, since you should have been leading <laughs> nice. that side of things. No, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking it should be something like thoughtpartnergroup.com. Is that a good one? It would be great if we had a phone number to go with it. <laughs> uh 1-800-PULL-YOURSELF-UP-BY-YOUR-BOOTSTRAPS. Or even, well, you could go to um, Crazy MBA and create one, maybe. CrazyMBA.com. Work out how to build and market your own business. There are a lot of great words that rhyme with jingle. I'll leave you with that. I think that's a great place to stop. (laughs) 